Well, good evening. It's uh, good to be here uh, tonight. I had nothing but nice things to say about Brother Woodard, but that went out the window. Um, so I'm just going to just skip right over that. You know, the typical missionary Baptist thing to do is when you're invited somewhere to come and preach is to, uh, you know, take ribs at the pastor. And uh, I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to be different because, uh, you know, Brother Woodard and I are good friends. And so I thought to myself, you know, I'm not going to tell jokes about how old he is uh, because he taught me in Sunday school. Um, you know, I wasn't going to go there, um, but uh, he did tell the story about me. Uh, you know, there's some things we, we regret in life, and <laughs> I just want to say the jump for Jesus error is, 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 a, is, a, is, an, is a part of my life I would like to just kind of gloss over, so I'm just going to move right on by that, but it's good to be here. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's always fun for me to go and visit different churches and um, get to worship uh, with, with different groups of people, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I really do appreciate the opportunity to uh, just stand and do what God has, um, has called me to do, and I'll try to stay active. I was uh, pastoring um, in 2007 or 2006. I actually moved out to Oregon, um, lived there for a few years and pastored in Oregon, and then I moved to Michigan and pastored there, and um, I went straight from Oregon to Michigan, and so now that we've been back for the past year, I've, I've, I'm a pastor without a, without a church, and um, we're a member at Victory now, but it seems odd not preaching every Sunday. So I've been trying to get out and, and uh, preach as much as I can, and I thought I, I appreciate uh, Brother Woodard giving me the opportunity. Um, if you have your Bibles tonight, uh, turn with me, if you will, um, to the book of Hebrews. It was kind of funny. Uh, uh, Brother Woodard was telling me about a sermon series he was listening to through the book of Hebrews at uh, dinner tonight, and, and I thought it's ironic that you, you say that, um, because uh, tonight my thoughts are in uh, the book of Hebrews. We're going to start reading in, in chapter 1. Um, I have been uh, studying this book uh, with a friend of mine uh, as of late, and um, uh, this, this passage has been really pressed upon my heart over the past few weeks. Um, and and the, I don't know if uh, Brother Woodard does this or not, but it's always been a, a tradition of mine that in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, you find that um, when the Word of God was read, the people stood uh, out of respect for the Word. So I'm going to ask you tonight, if you would, to stand as we read the Word of God uh, this evening out of the, in the, um, um, I guess, uh, way of Nehemiah chapter 8 there. Tonight is a, is a rather lengthy text, so I ask you to bear with me. I'm going to read the entirety of chapter 1 and the first uh, four verses of chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews. Uh, it says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. Verse 4, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, and this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. Verse 7. And all of the angels, he saith, uh, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. 
Therefore, God, even thy God, hath appointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning, hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Verse 11. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy year shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, 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 in light of all of chapter 1, therefore, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Our Father God in heaven, we approach your throne tonight thankful that you reign superior than angels. God, we are thankful that you rule with the iron scepter in your hand, and that you sit on the right hand of God on high. We thank you for King Jesus. We thank you, King Jesus, for your glory, for your power, uh, for your supremacy, for your preeminence in all things. And God, I pray tonight that I can just be an encouragement to your people, uh, that I can, through your word, remind uh, them and, and us to continue to hold fast to the things that we have first believed so that the gospel that changed our lives will continue to change our lives. It's in the blessed name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As I mentioned, I have been um, in a study with a friend of mine in the book of Hebrews. And it is a very intense book. I, I think that if you were to rate, in terms of difficulty, uh, the books of the New Testament, uh, I think Revelation kind of has a lock on number one probably on, on most difficult to understand. Uh, Romans, I think, is, is probably a, a kind of a contender for number two. And Hebrews, I think, rounds out the, the top three because the depths of the book of Hebrews, when you really begin to digest what he's saying, it's so very profound in its implications. The, the author here, uh, the book of Hebrews, and, and I could bore you with, with facts uh, that I have been uh, just digesting over the past month or so, but uh, and I don't want to do that, but I want to just kind of give you a 10,000-foot overview. Uh, the author of the book of Hebrews is probably a pastor who is preaching a sermon, and this is his sermon. Uh, more than likely, uh, we, we don't know, the book of Hebrews is kind of shrouded in mystery because we don't know for sure who wrote it. But more than likely, this was a sermon that was actually transcribed and delivered to a congregation, more than likely no larger than what's here tonight. So you can imagine, this is a, a pastor who is preaching to a group of people. This letter was actually circulated uh, first in the city of Rome. Uh, so we think of the book of Hebrews, and we, our minds automatically tend to go to the Jews who are in Jerusalem. Uh, that's probably not the setting for this, this epistle. Uh, this is probably a, a sermon that was transcribed. If there was the internet, they would probably put it online. 
Um, but it was, it was circulated first in the city of Rome. So you're talking about a small Jewish church in Rome just prior to roughly the year 70 A.D. So you're talking about second century Christians. These are Christians that had not seen Jesus with their eyes. Uh, perhaps they had heard the message from the apostles. Uh, but these are the children and the grandchildren of those who first initially believed. And during this time, there began to arise the resistance to the Christian movement. Uh, we can read about in uh, the book of Acts and also in the book of uh, Corinthians how under the Emperor Claudius there was a, um, uh, there was a uh, dissension that arose among the Jews. And so Claudius passed an edict to just get rid of all the Jews out of the city of Rome. And that's how Aquila and Priscilla you know, wound up in, in Corinth. And so, so I say all of that to say that you have a small church Okay, during troublesome times, and you have a pastor who is concerned for his little flock. Right? There are two major concerns for this pastor. Number one, that there are people that will uh, be discovered in the congregation that as this persecution begins to intensify, as it did throughout history, and they see the beginnings of it, uh, they're... Uh, when he is delivering the sermon, and 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 in, in this time period, uh, he sees the, the 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 flower beginning to blossom of persecution. He's concerned that many will discover that they're not truly Christian. Uh, we believe as Baptists. Uh, I think you guys are going through the Articles of Faith. We believe as Baptists in a doctrine called eternal security of the believer. Once saved, always saved. Right. But we also believe in a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. Uh, that if you uh, don't persevere to the end if you're able to uh, walk away from your faith and never return. It's a clear indication you were never saved to begin with. Persecution has a way of weeding those out. Uh, we read in First John how uh, he says that th there are those that went out from among us so that it might be made manifest. They were never truly a part of us to begin with. And so the Hebrew writer here is concerned that some in his congregation uh, would lack the faith that it takes to persevere to the end. That's one concern. But more than that, and, and, and I think our concern for this evening, is that there was a, a group in that church that he was concerned about that were beginning to drift from their initial faith. They were truly saved, but they were beginning to put their faith in things other than the Jesus in whom they initially put their faith in. The gospel that saved them all of a sudden was beginning to be replaced by pragmatism and other things that were uh, be becoming foremost in their heart and in their mind. In, in other words, they became distracted. They became distracted. And so in verse 1, the whole point of that entire chapter that I read, because uh, I wanted to give you a context, the entire point of of this book, and I think of chapter 1 and everything that I read is found in verse 1 of chapter 2. Let's read it. He says, therefore, he says, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. In other words, th th this is the only imperative in this entire text. An imperative is something that, we com that, that he commanded to be done. Uh, put it this way, I could say that uh, it's probably going to snow tonight. That's a, that's a fact, maybe. I don't know. In Tennessee, it's not so much a fact. In Michigan, when I lived in Michigan, it was a fact. If they said, it's going to snow, it's going to snow. Right? Here, it's going to snow. You wake up, and there's no snow. Sorry, school. Um, but, but if we say it's going to snow, that's a fact. 
Uh, an imperative would be, it's going to snow, so go prepare and get your milk sandwiches together, um, your milk and your bread, right? Th- so the imperative is, because it's going to snow, these are the facts, you need to do something about it. Prepare, go to the grocery store, right? And so the Hebrew writer says, because Jesus is so much superior than the angels, and because Jesus is superior than anything else that we could ever put our faith in, therefore he calls us to action. And that action is simply to remember that the gospel that saved us is the gospel that will continue to perfect us. In verse 1, that's exactly what he says, hold fast to what you believed. Just hold fast to that. The uh, word picture in verse 1 is, lest at any time we should let them slip. That's a funny translation, but in the Greek, it simply means to drift, like a ship drifting out from harbor. These people were not Vanderbilt fans. They had not anchored down. Right? Slip that in there. You're welcome. You're welcome. They had not anchored down. So what happens? If a ship pulls into harbor and, and it doesn't drop anchor, what happens to that ship? it begins to go right back out to sea, right? That's the word picture that he paints for you. He says, you've brought this ship in the harbor, but if you're not careful, you'll begin to drift. You'll begin to drift. Now, let me ask you one very important question, and, and, and I give you all of that history, and I give you all of that boring stuff to get to this one central point tonight. A simple question. What does it take for you to drift? How, how does a ship drift? What, what, what forethought has to go into the mind of the captain of a ship for it to drift? None. In order to drift, do nothing. Don't be intentional about your faith. Become rote in what you do. Church in, church out. Church in, church out. Church in, church out. And before you know it, you'll wake up and you'll go, my life's a wreck. What, 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 am I, what am I putting my faith in? in? In order to drift, simply do nothing. And the current of the time will take care. In this context, if you read in chapter 1, we read an awful lot about angels. Did you, did you catch that as we read through that lengthy text? He said, uh, to what of, which of the angels has he said, you know, uh, you are my son and, and sit on my right hand until I make uh, your enemies your footstool? And, and which one of the angels did, did God ever say uh, that uh, you are to hold the iron scepter in your hand and, and sit at my right hand? Uh, he's, he's, he's showing us here that apparently in this time there was a tendency for these, these Jewish believers to uh, begin to equate Jesus uh, with a little bit more than man but less than deity. There was a temptation there for them to uh, begin to not look at Jesus as God, but to equate him as uh, perhaps one of the, uh, the archangels. Uh, we read about that in Colossians chapter 2. This was a, a doctrine that apparently circulated in that, that those early times. Paul writes to the Colossian uh, church and to the church of Laodicea, and he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Did you, did you catch that? He says, make sure that nobody deceives you by human tradition. How is the tradition established? You just do something over and over and over and over. Traditions aren't bad, but when they become God, then they become heresy. Uh, Angels 
are a good thing. We're, we read about angels in, in Scripture. They, you know, we, we read about angels and, and, and God's creation of the angels and their, their uh, roles that they play as ministering spirits. Angels are not necessarily bad things, of course, unless they're demons, but they're not bad things. But when they take the place of God, they become idle things. Then you, you take bad th- good things and you can turn them into bad things by putting more stock and more trust in them than what they actually deserve. Your job is not a bad thing, hopefully. Your job is not a bad thing, but if it becomes your main thing, it becomes the wrong thing. Your family is a great thing, but if it becomes the source of your adoration, your love, and even your worship without you thinking about it, it becomes an idol. And, and we're warned throughout Scripture to be careful of those good things in our lives, those traditions that we have as churches, as families, as people. We're, we're warned to be careful uh, that we don't take those things and we elevate them to the place of Christ and we dethrone Christ in the process. Now, all of us uh, have a tendency to do that with something and we do it without thinking about it. Hence, the illustration of drifting. It's so easy to just don't think about it. Just don't think about it. N- none of us here probably, I'm assuming, has a tendency to... to, to to, to get up tonight and walk out of the church going, you know what? I'm going to worship angels tomorrow. Sounds like a good idea. I'm sure the, this early church didn't have that, that idea either. But they were beginning to drift into it. And this pastor who was concerned for his flock said, be careful, don't do that. I ask you uh, this evening, what do you have a tendency to drift into and put your faith in? What is your functional savior? Is it your job? your bank account is it your family your pastor your church is it your tradition in the church we can put more stock in those things and 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 slowly drift away from the power of the gospel if we're not careful guys how many churches have you ever been to you walk into it and it's dead as a doornail because they're putting so much faith and so much stock in the fact that they've been there since you know uh 16 whatever right and 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 the traditions have been here for all these years but the candlestick has been removed for so long what happened? They didn't wake up one day and say, we're going to forsake the gospel. They slowly drifted away from it by simply not being intentional in their faith. So that's the warning. So in verse 1 of chapter 2, that's what all of this circulates around. If you hear nothing else tonight, hear the one imperative that the Hebrew writer gives to us. Be careful. Take heed. Actually, in the Greek, that you cannot get more emphatic than this. If we were to send an email, it would be all caps and have like five exclamation marks behind it, all right? Have a little red flag in your outlook. It, important, right? Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things in which we heard. Go back to the gospel. Back to the gospel. So there's three things here that I want to briefly point out to you tonight. I don't want to uh, tarry too long on, on, on any of these three things. But if, if we find ourselves slipping... If we find ourselves slowly drifting into um, elevating something in our life above the place of Christ, um, there are three things in this text that I think we can go to to um, uh, set up guardrails in our life to keep us straight. I'll be very transparent with you tonight. My, my, my wife and my kids are here, and I know that they're, they, they didn't have naps today, and um, I, I, they're 
horses on the altar. Um, it looked like we're Jewish. <laughs> um, we're not sacrificing anything. It's just toys. Um, it is hard to get you all your kids to church. Uh, but, I'm, but I'm so glad that my family's here. And I love my children. And I love my wife. And um, it's easy for me to um, elevate them to a, a place of superiority and think more about them than I do of Jesus and the gospel. It's easy to think about the good job that God has given me. I want a trip to Miami at work. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and it's easy to, 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 to think about my job and think, wow, I, I'm, you know, like, like to say on Pinterest, nailing it. I'm nailing it. And, and, and you walk out of there and you put so much faith in that, but then you realize, you know, this is corporate America. That job could be gone tomorrow. Can it? It's easy to put your faith in, in your church. Um, even there's nothing wrong with church. I love church. I mean, my goodness, I'm, I'm, I've been a pastor of, of two and, and, and there's nothing wrong with church. There's nothing wrong with traditions. But when all of a sudden those things take the place of the gospel, they've turned into idols and they have to be ripped out and destroyed. A lot of people don't want to hear that. A lot of people don't want to do that work in their life, but that's exactly what the Hebrew writer calls us to do. Be careful lest these things take the place of of the gospel lest these things dethrone jesus and set up an idol in your heart three things i i I want to encourage you to do tonight number one if you find yourself beginning to put more faith and more trust and drifting away from the gospel and putting more faith and trust in, in other things number one i want you to meditate on jesus look with me in the first four verses of chapter one that's the first thing this Hebrew writer did. You know, he's going to go through here, and he's going to show us that Jesus is superior than angels. Jesus is superior than the law. Uh, Jesus is superior than Melchizedek and the priesthood. Uh, Jesus is superior than the old covenant established with Moses on Sinai. Uh, Jesus is superior than any other thing we can put our faith in. That's the whole theme of this wonderful sermon, this wonderful book that is, is uh, recorded for us. But the first four verses of, of this book are not theology. They are, but, but th- that's not his point. They're not to be dissected and examined for every word and every little phrase. The first four verses of this book um, is unlike the rest of the book because it's poetry. Did you catch that? Look in, in the first four verses. God who at Divers times and in divers manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets, as in these last days spoken to us by his son. He will go on and say, Whom he is appointed heir of all things. But in the Greek, it's pretty interesting because every single word of that verse starts with the letter P. You, you wouldn't catch that in the English because of translations, but it starts with the letter P. It's poetry. It's like the, the pastor, it's like Brother David. Can you, can you imagine Brother Woodard up in the pulpit and go, Peter Piper pecked a pickle, pickle peppers? That would get your attention, wouldn't it? You would think, number one, he's gone crazy. And number two, what's he doing? That's exactly what the Hebrew writer or the, the, the pastor of this little uh, church did. He got up in this pulpit and he rattled off that first verse and it was poetic. It was beautiful. And, and, and what is he saying? He says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spoke to the fathers um, by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Now watch how he describes the son. Watch how he unpacks uh, the beauty of Jesus. He says, whom he hath appointed the heir of all things, 
by whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, holding all things by the word of his power. You guys get a sense of the highness of Jesus, of the superiority of Jesus, of the loftiness of Jesus, of the grandeur of Jesus, of the magnificence of Jesus in these first few verses. He says, Jesus is where it's at. Jesus is what we first put our faith in. Jesus is what we have to continue to put our faith into. And it's a, it's a high Christology, meaning that this is um, painting Jesus in the light of, of a man who is not just from Galilee, uh, as a man who uh, not just was born in Nazareth, who died on a cross, who was hungry, who was thirsty. This is Jesus as 100% deity. This is Jesus as God. This is Jesus as creator. This is Jesus as sustainer of all things. I can breathe tonight because Jesus ordains it. We can get home safely tonight because Jesus ordains it. He sustains all things by the word of his power. One word, one word, and he could just change it all. But he keeps your life going in the direction it's going. He keeps you blessed uh, by the sustaining power of his person. It's beautiful. And there are passages like that in the New Testament. And I encourage you that when you begin to, to uh, wax faint in the good fight, all right, when you begin to, to struggle in your faith, when you begin to trust more in your job or your bank account or your schooling or or your parents, or your, your uh, church, or your pastor, or whatever it is, or angels in this case, to meditate on these passages that tell us about the reality of Jesus. He is God, and he is worthy of our affection and praise and our attentions. You can go to passages like Philippians chapter 2, um, where we read that, having uh, Paul exhorts us to have the mind of Christ, who being in the form of God, um, uh, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Uh, he, he talks about how Jesus uh, uh, was, was incarnate. He talks about uh, the, he, he actually goes, uh, let's just turn there, because it's, it's a beautiful passage. It, it won't take just a moment. Philippians chapter 2, it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, uh, because it really shows uh, the person of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, you can also go to passages uh, such as uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through, uh, through 18. You can even go all the way back to Isaiah chapter 6 and, and read about the angels around the throne singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. I saw a quote this week on Facebook that said that um, uh, nowhere in Scripture is God called holy. Did you know that? He's called Holy, Holy, Holy. In uh, Philippians chapter 2, he says in verse 6, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery uh, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as a man. This is verse 8 of chapter 2. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Amen? 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. In our text in um, Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses there, so he, he paints this picture of Jesus as, as deity, the fullness of God, as the object of our faith. And so he concludes that with verse 4 of chapter 1 of Hebrews. He says that being so much better than the angels, as he hath obtained, uh, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So the point of, of all of this is Jesus is superior, and in this case, the angels. When you drift, do what the Hebrew writer did. Do what Paul did. Meditate on the deity and the person and the work of Jesus. Allow him to reclaim the throne in your heart. I, I maintain this, that if you want to grow in your faith, uh, anybody here that's saved, I believe you want to grow in your faith, amen? There's a tendency, especially in America today, to have a, a pull it up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality to sanctification. Right? I'm going to try better this week. I'm going to try better. Right? I'm going to I'm going to read my Bible every day this week. I'm going to I'm going to do this. I'm going to get up at at, at 4 a.m. Um, that's not me. FYI. I'm going to I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that better. I'm going to try to be at church on Wednesday nights more and Sunday night. I'm going to try to whatever and stop. I maintain that if you can get in your mind and in your heart a high view of Jesus, that that, that will cause you to, to, to yield to the sanctifying work of the Spirit in your life. If you'll, if you'll just get a lofty view of Jesus in your mind and in your heart, your sanctification and your Christian growth will be less about doing things and more about meditating on the person and the work of Jesus in your life. And you'll find that those things kind of take care of themselves. You'll want to read the Bible more. You'll want to be at church more. You'll want to change certain habits in your life to glorify God because the only thing that is arresting your attention and your heart is the loftiness and the grandeur of the Holy One of Israel. You see? Uh, in the next verses in Hebrews, the second thing we do, we, no, number one, we put Christ back on the throne. All right? We anchor down. We become Vanderbilt fans. We anchor down. All right, and we put Christ back on the throne to keep us from drifting. Number two, we have to strip away whatever idols we've erected. And that's what, exactly what he does in verses 5 through 14. I'm not going to read all that again, but, but I want you to notice that he quotes the Old Testament seven times. He goes back to Scripture, and, and he proves with seven verses or seven um, uh, portions of Scripture that Jesus is superior than the uh, this particular idol that has been erected uh, in the lives of the uh, Hebrews in this context. Every quotation in verse 5. Let me give you an example. Um, in verse 9, he says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee 
with the oil of thy gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands, and they shall perish, but thou remainest. And, and you can read others. He says in verse 13, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? I want to very briefly tell you that every single one of these verses is the Father speaking to the Son. Every one of them. You guys ever been around a nosy person? Don't don't start pointing fingers. There's a girl at work that if she hears the conversation, she's immediately like, uh, what, what, what are you talking about? And you just want to say, what? It's none of your business, right? We're invited into an inter-Trinitarian conversation. We, we are allowed in this section of Scripture to overhear the Father speaking to the Son. And he doesn't say, it's none of your business. He, he invites us in and says, this is the Father speaking to the Son, establishing the sonship and the superiority of Jesus. So, so he, what he's doing here is he's, he's destroying all of this idea that, that Jesus is on the same level as angels. He completely demolishes that idea with these verses. And we could go through and, 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 and pull apart every single time he does that. Um, but the idea here is that if we are to keep ourselves from drifting, we need to, through Scripture, remove whatever idols we've erected in our, in our hearts and in our lives. You see, it's a very simple process. Put Jesus back on the throne and take off the throne whatever you've put there. And lastly, in our text, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he gives uh, three things, very briefly, the warning, the consequences, um, and uh, the witnesses to this. Uh, and I'll, I won't uh, break all this down for the sake of time uh, this evening. Uh, but he says here in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore, because we've now put Jesus back on the throne, we've taken the angels and whatever else off of the throne, he says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip, lest we drift. What have we heard? Did you catch that in verse 1? He says, pay attention to what you've heard. I ask you tonight, what have you heard? What is, what is the message he's calling you back to? Well, look in chapter 1, verse 1. How did God speak? How is God speaking? What is the message? It is the Son. He, the, the, it's, the, it's, a, it's the message, it's the spoken word of Jesus being declared. It is the gospel. He's calling you back to the gospel. He says, pay attention to what you heard. Do you remember the night you got saved? Amen? You guys remember the day you got saved, the night you got saved, whenever it was? The peace that, that floods your heart in a moment like that? Do you remember how God took you uh, from darkness uh, to light? Do you guys remember how you were once a goat and he turned you into a sheep? Do you guys remember how he translated you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved son? Do you remember how he clothed you with the righteousness of Jesus, took away all your sins, and cast them into the depths of the sea? And guys, we're landlocked. Do you remember how he did that? The, the gospel, the, 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 the message that was able to do that in your life is still able to do that in your life today. So I don't know what it is uh, that you might be putting your faith in. I don't know what kind of persecution or trouble that might be arising you, in you to cause you to, to drift away from the gospel and turn into a pragmatist and, and want to put your faith into a man or church or tradition or whatever. I don't know what that is. 
But whatever it is, he calls us, he calls you to, to forsake that pragmatism and put your faith in the same thing you put your faith in the day you got saved. Because the fact of the matter is, is that the night you got saved was just the beginning. It wasn't the end. We, we, we have a tendency, especially as missionary Baptists, to talk about the, the day or the night we got saved as kind of like the culmination and the end of everything. Like the night I got saved, he, he did this, and um, we kind of have this unspoken um, mentality that you can just go out and live like a heathen thereafter and, and, and be okay. That's not, that's, not, that's, not, that's not the gospel. That's not salvation. Salvation is the justifying work of Christ in your life. And then there's a seed that's planted that blossoms as you grow and mature in your faith. Right? And that is nourished by the same message that you heard the night you got saved. Jesus. Jesus. I want to very briefly end on this thought. Verses 2 and 3, he, he puts to you, a very logical statement. He says, for, let's just, let's just be reasonable, right? Let's be reasonable. For if the word spoken, verse 2 of chapter 2, if the word spoken by angels, speaking of the law, I don't have time to get into all that, but if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And he's talking to believers, The idea here is, if the law was holy and good, and he judged according to the law, you read the Old Testament, and you read about all of the judgments that were passed along. He says, if that's good and that's holy, he says, if you've received the gospel message and the fullness of the light of the gospel, he says, if they were judged, how much greater will you be judged in eternity? You see that? If, if, if they were judged according to the law, how much greater will you be judged if you neglect that gospel message? So the consequences are dire. There's so much more here that I, I just don't have time to, to, to dive into uh, tonight. Um, I, I, I believe very strongly and very firmly that uh, this uh, book, if you will read it, and, and if you will study it, it, it will restore in your heart and in your, in your mind a, 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 a view of Jesus that will excite you, uh, that will spark a, a fire in your heart, uh, that will see you uh, through whatever persecution or hardship or trial that you would ever face. I'm thankful tonight for the book of Hebrews. I'm thankful tonight uh, for uh, this message because it's a message that reminds me. As a pastor, you know, I, I, again, I'm very candid. I try to be very transparent in the pulpit. My, my drifting tends to be a drifting towards my family. Uh, I, I want to sometimes elevate them uh, above what I, I should. Um, I, I'm a firm believer in ministerial education, and sometimes I have a tendency to drift to that and put my stock in that. Um, and, and I forget that the Bible is about Jesus and not a, a set of uh, theology textbooks uh, that I can uh, read and, and dissect. It reminds us of the glory of Jesus. And if there's anything that I can say tonight worthy of your attention and time, it's that if you begin to drift, if you find yourself, if you wake up one day and you thought, how did I get here? What am I doing wrong? 
Uh, I encourage you to, number one, meditate on Jesus. Number two, dethrone whatever has taken God's place in your heart. And number three, become a Vanderbilt fan and anchor down. Anchor down and hold fast to the gospel that changed your life. God bless you. It's been been an honor uh, to be here among you. Thank you for listening to me tonight.